read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. For the last five and a half years, few people have been busier and more visible in the fight for human and civil rights in our state than Equality NC Executive Director Kendra Johnson. Whether she was responding directly to the political rights repeated in cynical attacks on the LGBTQ people or championing a host of other causes to lift up vulnerable North Carolinians, from voting rights to health care access to public education, Johnson has made a big and positive mark on the state. Recently, however, Johnson announced that she'll soon be leaving Equality NC to start a new chapter in her life, and earlier this past week, I caught up with her to get some of her thoughts, both on the policy debates of the last year and her tenure on the front lines. Well, Kendra Johnson, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you back with us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here, as always. It's such a challenging time. You've done such incredible work in this leadership role at Equality NC. On the one hand, it's been another year of sort of repressive and regressive laws and dreadful legislation here and there and violence in many instances. And on the other hand, you still do see slow, incremental progress in many areas, many states and cities with equality resolutions and laws. And even in the world of sports and entertainment, I I sometimes take solace there. I wonder what your thoughts are as you come to the end of this year and and reflect on 2023 and and what we've seen in, in the work you do. You know, it's always two steps forward, one back. Sometimes it seems like we've gone way back in the last few years. But I think the thing that gives me the most hope is that there is a solid generation of young folks who really have been able to connect the dots and they understand marginalization, oppression, like hateful forces, and they're really not here for it and they're ready to fight. And I know that while this might be difficult, we have a whole legion of fighters that are coming up with us and that are taking stances on all number of issues that impact the the lived equality of folks and their happiness and their security and their safety. And, you know, the future is ours, really. I sort of was struck as I thought about some of the bills that were passed this year in the General Assembly. We know we've got all these new bills that want to promote book banning and putting teachers and kids in, in, in impossible situations in our schools. And yet it, it almost felt to me like in many ways, sort of not that this is much solace, but in some ways it sort of remind me of HB2, that we had this ridiculous law that was passed. And over time, it just came to be recognized by everyone that it was a dreadful idea and it wasn't doing anything and it was nonsense. And maybe, maybe we'll see the same pattern play out here with some of these laws that have been passed in 2023. Yeah, I think actually it's coming sooner. I think people see a direct connection between Dobbs, you know, when Roe Mm -hmm. v. Wade was overturned, and the attacks on the right to health care that we're having for gender-affirming care. They see this as the state wanting to control our bodies. People have made that connection, and they're actually mobilizing and activating together. So I think it's going to come faster than HB2. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're going to see more movements that are building across race, class, sexual orientation, and gender identity in order for us to actually really pursue liberty and justice for all. It's going to take a while, but I think people are clear that these things are connected. The gender affirming care issue is one that's so striking because for so long, for those actually who've worked for reproductive freedom, there were always these laws put forward that a 
kid couldn't do anything without their parents' permission. Parental permission was the critical thing. But here, in the case of gender affirming, there's this hypocrisy here in that we have parents and, and healthcare professionals who have studied this and psychologists and therapists and nurses who say this, this young person needs gender affirming care and the state presuming to tell them that they can't. It seems a remarkable uh, bit of hypocrisy from the authors of that legislation. Right. And it's very telling that the same people who were protesting outside of clinics that afforded like abortion care are now protesting outside of gender affirming care clinics now um, with the same vitriol, the same hatred and the same intent to stop people from making decisions about their own bodies. And obviously, we've seen court cases sort of going both ways on this. What you have any read on where things stand in the, on the legal front when it comes to these new and restrictive laws on gender-affirming care? We've seen the bans uh, overturned, you know, in, in several cases, and I hope that that is what will prevail, because if not, we're in a very slippery slope about bodily autonomy everywhere. If this is the case that you can challenge science and a medical profession and medical boards that regulate and study this and make a decision about whatever procedure you disagree with, then is we're going to have chaos um, in the United States, in the medical community, and we're going to have chaos in our access to healthcare. And it's already not great. Like the one victory we've had in that realm is Medicaid expansion this year, which was huge and will be life-changing. But people need to be able to make decisions, private medical decisions with their doctors for themselves and for their kids. Another area where we might see some chaos as we try to implement these new and restrictive laws is in our schools, where we're putting teachers, purporting anyway, to put teachers in this impossible situation where a child who confides in them and is indeed perhaps worried about violence and uh, mistreatment at home might still have to be outed if the child wants to confide in a teacher about their struggles or their progress that they're making in their life and determining who they are. It's terrible. It's a huge headache. And the reality is we need safe schools. We keep focusing on something that is actually not an issue. And we have real issues like the lockdowns that we just saw in schools and the shootings and stabbings and school safety. We're already losing critical teachers in the classroom. And education is like, has been the, you know, the backbone of our society as a quote unquote developed society. And we're in this situation where we're focusing on all the wrong issues and putting pressure on teachers where there should not be. When we need more investment in public schools, we need broader safety. We need tutoring resources, after school resources, you know, different accommodations for folks who are differently able. There's so many things that schools need besides this oppression on students and teachers. I was talking with William Lassiter, who's the Deputy Secretary of Juvenile Justice the other day, and we were talking about school violence. And he's a big proponent of a, the cause of combating bullying in our schools. He believes mm -hmm. that bullying is a huge contributor to school violence, to school mental health issues. And I assume that's something you see a lot of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, besides kids being bullied to death, you know, where we have high suicidal ideation, a lot of the folks who actually exact violence inside of school settings are kids that have been literally bullied into that position. And that's not me defending someone who, 
you know, is a school shooter or any of those things. But in almost every case, those kids have been marginalized inside of those school systems or have some undiagnosed mental health condition that has not been addressed because we don't have the financial resources to have school counselors uh, like we should in school. Yeah, so I agree with that entirely. We're talking with Equality North Carolina Executive Director Kendra Johnson, and we talk about kids. I was talking to a, a Raleigh pastor the other day, and she expressed the concern that even if some of these very vociferous anti-gay politicians are defeated in elections, the rhetoric that they utter these days, um, obviously our lieutenant governor perhaps being a prime example, maybe uh, some other candidates, that that has such a negative impact on kids. It sort of contributes to this culture of bullying that's, um, it's almost like a societal bullying that's taking place. It is. And it's one of the reasons that Equality and Seek actually did not take on Mark Robinson front on when he was making some of his comments, because we didn't even want to repeat them publicly mm -hmm. and have kids learn about his statements through our press releases. We know that it has a negative impact. And we also know that he emboldens, he and politicians like him embolden uh, other folks who are just generally disgruntled, who want to exact violence. And we have seen an uptick in threats and harassment of our community over the, the time that he has been in office, essentially. We've seen that part of it started with Trump. Some of it is Moms for Liberty. But another piece is Mark Robinson himself and the rhetoric that he's put out there about our community and in ways he's made our community controversial in ways that it hasn't been in 20 years. I guess the key to combating a lot of this, continuing to advance the ball, moving forward, the two steps forward, maybe three steps forward is voting, right? I mean, that's yeah. something that's a top priority for you. I assume Equality North Carolina will be, uh, that'll be at the top of the list of the to-do list for the end of this year and, and into 2024. That's exactly right, is that we want to help people understand why it is important to vote. We want to get new voters and lapsed voters back into the fold uh, voting. But we also want to see some candidates that we're excited about, that are talking about real issues and that are talking specifically about our issues and how they're going to work for the community. And I'm not just talking about LGBTQ rights, but right. housing, public safety, education, all of those things that we all need in order to thrive. We want to see candidates that are talking about real issues that, and that are going to be of support to marginalized communities. We've been talking with Kendra Johnson, who's the executive director of Equality North Carolina, who's had a remarkable tenure in this position, amazing accomplishments, such a leader on so many issues in our state. And yet you've announced you'll be moving on. And uh, I wondered if you wanted to share any final reflections on your tenure at Equality NC and maybe your hopes for what lies ahead. I've had this amazing time. It's been the honor of my lifetime to be at the helm of Equality NC. And I think, you know, we can say we worked to pass 22 ordinances after HB2. Um, we can say that, you know, we have done X amount of trainings. Um, but I think my singular accomplishment is really building an organization that people feel like they see their needs and their desires for North Carolina reflected and being a part of an organization that speaks to their needs, um, regardless of where the background, you know, I want 
young, genderqueer, Latinx folks to feel like ENC is for them. I want, you know, older white folks to feel like this is an organization that stands for them. For Black, lesbian women like myself to feel like this organization is working for us and that together we can build power and we can have the North Carolina that everyone deserves, where everyone thrives. So that's what I think I set out to build. And I've I've had that reflected that people feel like they can be part of this organization. They want to join us. They want to work with us. And we show up as a good partner. That work itself means the world to me. Congratulations on a job well done. Folks, check out equalitync.org. Make a contribution. Get registered to vote if you're not. Find out how you can become active. It's it's really has become a remarkable force for good in our state. And we really extend our congratulations to Kendra Johnson for a job well done. And I'm sure our paths will cross again soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for always having me. And thanks for really diving into the issues and shedding light on critical matters that the state needs to hear about. Uh, I appreciate our time working together and I'm not going far. I'll be here fighting a good fight in 2024, just not on the front lines. Thanks so much. Well, that's it for this edition of News and Views. Remember, you can check us out online and subscribe for free to some of our state's best news coverage and political commentary at ncnewsline.com. You can also listen to all of our interviews and commentaries wherever you get your podcasts. For producer Clayton Henkel, this is Rob Schofield. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to News and Views, a weekly look at state news, events, and public policy debates produced by North Carolina Newsline. Visit them online at ncnewsline.com.